Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Getting Hammered. I'm your host, Mary Catherine Ham. I'm here with my co-host, Vic Mattis of the Washington Free Beacon. We are your morning show for any hour, and I am definitely over-caffeinated and underprepared today. Today, for sure. I think I had three cups of coffee today. Woo! How's it going? Hello, Mary Catherine. Did you say you were over-caffeinated, over-prepared, or no. underprepared? Un- oh, underprepared. <laughs> underprepared. Always. Well, that's, yeah, always no, that's, that's usually your MO and that's what works. No, I don't like to deviate you, from you, my brand, you know? That's right. You don't want to be like overburdened by like too many things and then no. like ah, you get locked in. No, no. <laughs> I think you require more sort of, you know, lubrication. <laughs> don't say no, lubrication. But it's more easy. It's easy to move no, things. I have out. a free-flowing free brain space. That's what I was going to say. Free-flowing. I get more. I, I Sometimes I get so rigid in my, in my thing. I'm like, ah can't get out of this. I'm doing fine. I don't have much going on, just a lot of work. As some listeners know, I am now fully officially the arts and culture editor here at the Free Beacon and putting together a great lineup for this week. So I'm just going to use my opportunity, this opportunity to tout, tout what we got for the weekend, which is we open with on Saturday, Christopher Scalia from oh, AEI nice. reviewing Lucky Hank on AMC. Do you know this TV show? I do not, but it sounds intriguing. Yes, it stars Bob Odenkirk. So fresh off of Better Call Saul. And it's based on the Richard Russo novel, Straight Man. As, as Scalia, as Chris says, there's no producer in Hollywood is going to call the show Straight Man. Right. So they call it Lucky <laughs> Hank, which is a play on Lucky Jim. In any event, you know, sort of this, you know, frustrated midlife crisis professor at a, a very dumpy university. It's It's typical. It's a great fit for Bob Odenkirk. David Skinner on a book called The People's Tongue about American English, which is a great thing. Just embrace Ooh, it. Let's like own that. it. Let's not yeah. be embarrassed by American English. No, just have at it, people. And and I'll tell you what you're going to love, which is Christine Rosen on a book about the history of J. Crew. Oh, interesting. And my question to you is, and this is great for her, you know, she grew up with this and she talks about her experience, you know, with this particular look. Were you at all a J. Crew person? I am going to venture and say no. <laughs> you would be correct, Vic. <laughs> but I find this is, I think this is the reason that I find histories like that and sort of the idea of this like, you know, mid-century, very polished, preppy look, yes. early and mid-century look. I, I find it intriguing. And it is really classically classy. I mean, it has, yes. even when it's casual, it looks very good. Right. When I step into those clothes, do I feel like I'm pulling it off? Not always. Because that's what they want. You're supposed yes. to feel that way, right? You're supposed to feel, you know, it's it's as 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 Christine says, it it speaks of wealth, but it doesn't yell it at you. It whispers right. it in soft chambray. <laughs> yes. I I can attempt, but I don't feel that I'm really pulling it off. It, it's the it's the what they which because it's the distressed look right it's distressed but it never it never wears it thin it, it it holds together the quality is good but looks like it's been worn through with all yes. the various you know fades it's faded the way they describe the Jaku people describe the look is and I'll quote this the delicate brine of a clam bake <laughs> I love it yeah. So that said, anyway, check well, out the free peak of this weekend. But what are you going to say? Well, I was I was just in New England, which would have been a place. Oh yes, that is I, very. I was in Jay the perfect, country. I was in the perfect locale to dress like this, and yet I was not doing it. There's an internet meme, by the way, old picture of of Jackie Kennedy on a boat, and it says, 
You may be preppy, but you'll never be Jackie Kennedy in a scarf and a sundress holding a vintage camera and a cigarette on a yacht in Cape Cod preppy. <laughs> that's exactly right. They really embodied that look. They did. And that's what they were trying to go for. And the funny thing is, when I read this review, in the 80s, the J. Crew catalog, and, and Christine says it's hard to imagine in, in our today, in our Instagram culture, they wanted to have a, a, a look to the catalog that it was like a snapshot taken. And they would ask, does this look like it could have been candidly taken? <laughs> Interesting. Is, Maybe it was the precursor yeah. to all of this. Yes. Well, uh, and by the exactly. way, imagine how sloppy Ted Kennedy had to be to make preppy look sloppy. Yeah, you need a pretty he's extra a Kennedy, large. He's a Kennedy wearing wearing the the yeah. ultimate in like yeah. preppy casual clothing, or he should have nice suits and he still looks sloppy. Very large roll neck sweaters, as they would have, and those enormous chinos. One of the weird things about Kennedy, and I met him once when I was like a high schooler and shook his hand and said hi. It was like I was walking randomly in in Washington, and I just saw him. Hmm. on on the street outside Capitol. So I just said, oh, hi. And he said, and he said, welcome to Washington, you know. But he would wear these double-vested, you know, the double-breasted suits? Yes. But he was already wide. And that's like the last thing a, a wide person should wear. He So it looks like a tank is coming down the street. Or you was know? it a lion, Vic? Oh, he's, a lion he of the Senate. He was a lion of the Senate. He was a lion of the Senate. That's true. That's true. So many, oh. So many amazing things he did. How are you? And welcome back. And 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 tell us, did you enjoy Wentworth by the Sea? Because now we have confirmed for our listeners, we have confirmed I stayed in the very same hotel. It was the same one. It was lovely. I had an. It was not warm enough to sort of be out and about too much, but I took a little walk with the baby across a little, a little, a quaint little bridge. Yes. I saw some quaint little houses. I mean, it had it, very New England charm. So we did we did that. I was up there for an event with the, I think I've mentioned them before, the State Financial Officers Foundation, which is a great group of people. There are state, it's state treasure, treasurers and state officers and state chief financial officers. So each state has somebody who's in charge of all their bills and right. stuff. And they're a bunch of smart people. And there used to be not very many right of center or Republican treasurers in the country, but the numbers have gone up immensely. And uh, I think there's some 28 states now that yeah. have free market folks who are at the helm taking care of the finances, which is something Excellent. that if you're interested in the finances of your state is good. But what's cool about them is that, and I would say that they punch above their weight for the size of the organization is that they have, they flagged this ESG investing, the emotion or what was it, environmental social government governance investing yes. trend early. I learned about it from them and they were seeing it in these funds that they invest pensions in for their states. And they realized, hey, you know what we'd really like is for you to make money for our, the people who live in our state, not to be worried about ESG. So what they've done is in several states, I think like 10-ish, 10 or 11, these state financial officers have said, we will be divesting from funds that worry about this instead of worrying about making money because our fiduciary responsibility is to make money. Yeah. And so it's a cool, it's, it's an, it's cool because it's effective because they right. control large amounts of money. And the fact is that their duty is to make money investing that. And if you're worrying about other things, that doesn't always happen. So interesting group doing cool stuff. And I was up there. And, and, and also the things that, you know, they get obsessed about that they think is actually helping the planet oftentimes does not. No. Not really. Or yeah. social issues that they think are great are not. I just saw, you know, I see now commercials, which I had not seen before for BlackRock. 
and they're focusing on sort of very blue collar working man kind of a th- you know they're they're going for that hey you know despite what you might have heard yeah yeah, yeah. It, don't worry almost, guys <laughs> it has a, a great but, job yeah it has a Bud Light feel to the commercial like yeah. they're overcompensating but yeah and it's so important at the state level that makes a big difference they can make a real dent in a good way. Yeah. So I was hanging out with those guys. Uh, I took the baby with me. He did a good job traveling. He was up and down during the night, but not too bad. He he gave me a break. He did briefly cry during Governor Sununu's speech and (laughs) earned himself a politician joke. That's good. Because as he was, as the baby was being shuffled out of the room, Governor Sununu said, I got to you got to earn that youth vote. You can hear they're very disenfranchised. They feel very, very disenfranchised. You know, you got to be very quick on your feet. Yes. So that was a good time. Oh, and I this this came up while I was there. And I, this is actually not on our list, but I'm going to just explain it mm-hmm. briefly because I think it's going to be interesting. And the news stories just, just started popping about it today. And that is this, that New Hampshire was the first in the nation primary for Democrats until recently. And then Joe Biden decided, no. And the Democrats decided, no, it's going to be South Carolina. Now, this yeah. is a reward to South Carolina for having voted yeah. for Joe Jim Biden. Jim Clyburn. Yeah. Yes. And making him the nominee last time for the Democratic Party. It's also, I think, a sign that they're not super sure that if he went to Iowa and New Hampshire, where he didn't get a lot of overwhelming support last time, yeah. that the incumbent president, should he have a field against him, would not fare so well. Right. So they're going straight to South Carolina. Yeah, straight for the easy win, because as you remember, if not for that weird voting glitch that delayed the results in the Iowa caucus, the news would have all been about Pete Buttigieg winning the Iowa caucus. Exactly. And and I believe Biden got single digits in New Hampshire. Yeah, he was done. He was toast. So they're going straight to South Carolina to bolster Biden. Strong. But the problem is that New Hampshire doesn't care. If Joe Biden wants to be in South Carolina and the Democratic Party wants to be in South Carolina, it is, I believe, in the Constitution that they are the first in the nation primary. Oh. So how does that work? Well, when Biden and the Democrats announce the date for South Carolina, New Hampshire will likely just set theirs a couple weeks earlier. And then we have a decision, right? Because Biden has not spent time getting on the ballot in New Hampshire because they're not supposed to go to New Hampshire first. And... They're sort of setting the stage for nobody to be on the ballot in New Hampshire by by decree of the party. But how are you going to resist a New Hampshire win if you're, say, I don't know, Gavin Newsom? And you're looking at this and you're thinking, well, wait, I could just go get on the ballot in New Hampshire and he's not going to come contest me. Right. And there's 51 percent of this party doesn't want him to be the nominee. Right. It's going to be an interesting dust up this whole this whole thing. Or even Robert Kennedy. Yeah. Oh, as exactly. An, he's, he's happy to go there. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So if, if they decide to ratchet it up and move theirs up, South Carolina might retaliate as well and say, well, actually, then we're going to be even closer. And then the New Hampshire primaries next week. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We're just going to start <laughs> next week. <laughs> okay. Did, did Governor Sununu intimate? He, he, did, he hasn't announced that he's running, is he? He was asked about it. And uh, he said, he's just like, he's just observing. He's just observing. He's just observing. Yeah. He's just yeah. checking it out, whether, yeah. you know, what his role in this process is. But he is a four-term governor of New Hampshire. And I got to say, uh, a very entertaining speaker. I enjoyed him a ton. He, he, you would think he's the kind of candidate that the Democrats would dread. Yes, I would imagine he has, so. he has yeah. no connection to Trump whatsoever. 
They can't stick things on him. Even with the, 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 the Biden re-election video announcement from last week, there's a quick blip of a, of, of a, it's like a frame of Joe Biden and Ron DeSantis hugging. And I'm not Joe, excuse me, Donald Trump. Oh, really? And Ron DeSantis hugging, you know, oh. as if like, oh, because it, oh. they time it to when Biden says MAGA, extreme MAGA Republicans. And then you see the two no, of them I believe, together. I believe the quote is exactly this. MAGA extremists. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Ma- that's exactly ma- how he said MAGA, it. MAGA extremists. And, and, and the idea is, oh, you know, Ron DeSantis and Donald Trump, they're the same. Really. You know, they, they, and they love yeah. each other. Totally. Yeah. Totally. yeah. Anyway, New Hampshire was lovely. I remembered the last, it's funny, the last time I was in New Hampshire, did I mention this the other day? The last time I was no. in New Hampshire was to co-moderate a 2016 Republican primary debate featuring uh, oh yes Donald Trump. It was actually, if everyone remembers which one it is, when I say which one it is, which is it was the one where Chris Christie went after Mark Rubio. Marco Rubio. Yeah, that was the end. So of that that was the night that I was there, and I was in the audience, like, ooh, this is ooh, ooh, yeah. this is painful. ooh. And the audience, it, when, I was on the when, stage when sure. you were when you were there, I, who was the other moderator? I always think it was Hugh Hewitt, but no, it other. was a local TV guy who was great. He and I were sort of the the junior moderators and then david muir of That's abc, right, ABC. News and martha raddatz were on the main stage and yeah. we were kind of on our little on like side. yeah we were on a, like a little star-shaped Katy perry set to the side oh those are good though it's very intimate yes you, get, you know it's very now when i think i probably asked you this before before governor chris christie called out marco rubio for his canned response did you yourself i tend to you know sometimes when you're moderating these things or on on a panel you're constantly looking at what are we talking about next? Did you notice, did you pick up yourself that Rubio had repeated himself? Oh, no, I could feel he it did. in the room. And wow. the, the room was also very loud yeah. in in the room and that you could hear yeah. people going, ooh, ooh, ooh. Oh, no. <laughs> I can feel it. I, I remember being glad that I hadn't asked the question that precipitated this. Yeah. And, you know, it was, it was very noticeable. People went in the crazy. Room. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, that was that was a good time. I remember I remember prepping for like this because this was right after Donald Trump had gone after Megyn Kelly from the stage and then after as well in some pretty unseemly ways. And so I had gamed out a bunch of just like what insane thing could he say to me and how would I react to it? He did not end up saying anything to me personally. I did uh, shook his hand after as, as and Melania's as well. But anyway, the last time I was there. I also had a three-month-old. Look at me. I just, <laughs> can't just, wait for child number eight in 2024. No, no, no. This no. Be, okay. This is the last three-month-old that's going to New Hampshire with me. So we made it made it back today. He behaved Great. himself. Everything was good. Got his, first, got his first heckling of a politician done. Yeah. Oh, and by the way, I have gotten several questions about pictures of the bathroom. Oh, yeah. My husband installed a, a new light fixture. And I'm going to put up a few decorations and I will try to get a substack written that has pictures in it. So if you, I will make it a part of the substack and I'll put the pictures there so that people can see. And then I'll put it on the Instagram as well. Did, did you already, did you add like a second coat to the floor or you're all set there? No, now? I think it's all good it's to go all now. set and dry and your in-laws are ready to use it. Yes. Yes. And not have feet that are black and white. Yeah, we should be okay. okay. We should be okay. okay All right. right. You know what? We forgot to talk. Or we, we ran out of time. We did. We ran out of time. And the, the people facts. demand Tucker News and the people demand Don Lemon News. Yes. Okay. 
on a very busy Monday morning in the news world, we found out that Tucker Carlson was leaving Fox News. Now, he is the top-rated primetime show. Interestingly, he did not hold the crown of the highest-rated show on the network, which is actually the five often. Oh, that's interesting. Which says something about the demo as well. Yes. Five instead of eight. But the five is often higher rated, but he's the highest primetime rated show and certainly the most popular and well-known host on the network. And there were various rumors as to what might have happened. Some say that he was planning a show that the higher-ups didn't like, and they said he couldn't do that show. And he said, well, you can't fire me. I quit. Right? That's one version. Or that the messages that were coming out in this pre-settlement with Dominion over the lawsuit that Fox was having with them for defamation, that some of the texts in the run-up to that had caused problems between the higher-ups and Tucker. Some reporting after the fact suggests that there are more people on, more sources saying that that was some of it, that some of these texts were bad news and that, that executives got mad about it. As of now, Tucker has spoken publicly on his Twitter page with a video. Yes, he has taken he has taken back he has taken back his Twitter Twitter feed. You call it his feed. Mm-hmm. I remember when he right before he got the big job for the, to fill in the O'Reilly slot, basically, right? And once that happened, he had said so, something to the effect of that these other handlers actually take control of the Twitter and they do it for you. He doesn't actually do it. Right. right? As opposed to him act, you know, versus like Elon. Right. Who I believe is actually hitting reply. Yes, I, mean, I, know, I believe that too. All that stuff. <laughs> and they send out these, you know, different tweets and things like that. But anyway, yes, you were saying he made this, he made a big so announcement. He made a, he made a video announcement that's like a little, it's not specific about what he's going it to be doing. It's not specific. And there was no very, names. There was cryptic. no, it's like there were no proper nouns. Yeah. In the announcement. But it was sort of a treatise, treatise on the idea that, hey, look, everyone in media is sort of, deciding what you see and you're not always seeing the truth because left and right you know the higher-ups have all decided that what benefits them is this particular narrative and so you're only going to see the things that adhere to that narrative i'll be back with more check out my twitter yeah (laughs) right but yeah so that's where it stands right now we'll get to don lemon next but what do you think tucker has up his sleeve that's a good question. You know, John Podhoritz, his theory is that it's going to be Trump Carlson 2024. Oh. That's because he's not going to run for president. But, you know, this is exactly the kind of person who Donald Trump would want because he's famous and he's well known. He's very good on TV. That's the first requirement is being yes, very media true. savvy. Right. Yeah. So that's one thing. But him appearing on doing this little video from his little hideaway and, you know, on Twitter, on social media. I was thinking that he was probably he could go the way of Joe Rogan, right? And I'm not, this is not to say that he's going to be a part of you know somebody else's platform. He could create his own platform, or he could, or some other big company would want him. Obviously, there'd be all sorts of huge protests, like there was against Joe Rogan, and even I mean, imagining like triple that, right? If it was Tucker, but he can easily do something podcast related. He he doesn't need the money. You know, so I mean, he had already he had come from wealth, and then and then Fox was paying him. I believe within the within the neighborhood of twenty million a year. What's interesting is that, look, in the past, big names have left cable networks, yeah, 
and then they don't have as much reach. So Glenn Beck left and he created the Blaze. Yeah. But I would say l- had less relevance than he did after. And certainly, I think the Blaze Pantus. is less relevant now than it used to. Yes. So that was that was what he did. Bill O'Reilly left. He starts a podcast. He left. So a very yeah. ignominious exit for him. He leaves, starts a podcast, but he's not certainly not relevant like he was before. Tucker, I think, in the wake of Megyn Kelly and her podcast and its success, the various Substack folks who do yeah. really well in their independent ventures, Barry Weiss, Joe Rogan, there's no reason that he can't do something on his own and have the same audience, if not larger, More. similar relevance and similar money. Like these, yeah. these guys make a yeah, lot of money. Yeah, if Joe Rogan's getting $100 million yeah. or something to that from Spotify, right? Then Tucker can easily, because they know he'll have the followers and he brought in the ad dollars for Fox. Right. Although I, I, really, think, yeah. I think the boycotts did have impact there were boycotts. on that show because people would organize to say, hey, you, these mainstream advertisers shouldn't right. be there. So you'd end up with not the cream of the crop advertising well, on that show. Once he started to venture into things like replacement theory, or Putin, Ukraine, you know, not great, not great, not a great use of of, of time. But it was it was not clear to me if if he was chasing after the audience or was the audience chasing after him. And I mean, I should say, you know, I mean, I I, I know Tucker. We're friendly. I worked with him at the Weekly Standard. I was 23 when I came, 22, 23 when I came there. He was 26 and he'd been nothing but nice. He blurred my vodka book. Nice. So I should full disclosure, you know, and he was able to do that because it was just before he landed a big job at Fox. And so he was still free to do things. And, and, yeah. and, and then before they locked down on him and he had this weird sort of up and down career. I mean, he was really an amazing print journalist, which I'm sure some listener, younger listeners like what's what's a print journalist. But yeah, he was really something great long form writer. Oh, my yeah. gosh. And 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 then, of course, he went into TV. He loved TV, but it was really up and down career because he had worked and gotten fired from like CN- gotten let go, I should say, from CNN, right. MSNBC, PBS. It was a show called Tucker Carlson Unfiltered. I forgot about that one. Yes, I think it was supposed to be like a firing light, firing line light, if that makes any sense. And in fact, I went to the his the launch party at Morton's, and I still have. I got two martini glasses. I still have one of them. And it says on the side, it's a big one too. And it's a great thick martini glass. And it says Tucker Carlson unfiltered on it. And that, But that was in his previous life where, you know, conservatives looked at him very suspiciously. And I know this talking to conservatives who'd be like, oh, he's a total squish. Oh, he's on MSNBC. And then suddenly, oh man, that Tucker's amazing. You know, right. and, and, and then suddenly the left and the right have switched sides on Tucker. So I don't know. What's he going to say? What he What's he yeah, going to do left? I don't know left, either. Like he, to me, he always had sort of heterodox views, leaned yes. libertarian, not populist. Yeah, oh, now he leans so much more yeah. populist. And there are moments when I'm like, I love this. For instance, when he's telling the audience as like, talking about Sidney Powell and saying like, this, she doesn't have the goods, guys. Mm-hmm. I have to tell you the truth. She doesn't yeah. have the goods. That is an important function. There are other times that I would watch clips of the show and be like, that guy come from by the way we've yeah. both been blurbed by tucker carlson at oh yeah so flipped your book. But, yeah but yeah and i think the both the obituaries that people are writing for tucker and the ones that people are writing for fox news in the absence of oh. tucker 
are way premature, guys. Well, I'm sure I'm sure Bill O'Reilly thought that when he left, nobody he's that he's irreplaceable. The like big well, guy. who will watch Fox? Yes. Yeah, and you and you knew him, and he he and he he called himself the big guy, right? Yeah. He was the big guy. So aside from the, you have the emails and texts that came out of Discovery during the Dominion defamation lawsuit, right, which were very damaging, and and so one of the obvious things people look to is that he had bad mouth, you know. The network execs, his colleagues, he, or Jackie Heinrich, for instance, and right. things like that. That's not it, it's not good form. But I wonder if you would agree with other people who say that the other big mistake that Tucker made was simply be, he became too big for the network and forgetting that you know Fox is the star of Fox, right? I mean, it's it, the, the network is the star; it's not one person, and then. You know, well, this is how Rupert, Rupert Murdoch decided to go full Logan Roy on him. Right. You know? Well, it's interesting because I guess, yeah, Fox is the brand, but also, and this is the Ailes imprint, right? Right. And this is from the, somebody like, you know, Ailes, you were there. Right. The Ailes thing and the reason so much of it worked, not the not the other Ailes thing. I mean, the, <laughs> the, the plan for how you make a network work was to have people exhibit their personalities Mm-hmm. regularly and not yeah. be just yeah. reading the teleprompter, no, right? Ails, yeah. So big personalities has always been part of the brand and letting people be that big personality has always been part of the brand. Yeah, I don't know. And I who knows how much we'll know about this backstory. Yeah. But uh, in the meantime, Carlson is getting caught by the Daily Mail going out to dinner with his wife on a golf cart. That's that's the big scandalous. Uh, yeah. They, they well, catch up with yeah. Tucker and paparazzi him while, while he's on a golf cart that, with his wife going to dinner that that is that is the life tucker tucker has led it's it's you know he gave a speech at uh, a heritage foundation and i saw a six minute clip of it and it was very he was very grateful for heritage for getting him the job but you know it was after heritage that he applied for the job at the weekly standard and the first interview he did he wasn't it wasn't great but you know bill crystal fred barnes and, and john Potthorch, they gave him he, he got a second chance and i think he came up with like 10 story proposals and just knocked it out of the park. Nice. Yeah. Should I tell the story, the awkward story about Tucker and Bill and me? Oh, <laughs> sure. Why not? Okay. I, that was weird. Yeah. Okay. So when the Weekly Standard met its untimely death. Yes. Well, maybe not untimely. I mean, magazines were going by the worst. <laughs> it was not unexpected in a weird yeah. way. But. So the day the Weekly Standard died, there was an impromptu party or wake, as we ended up calling it, at Andy Ferguson's house. Right. A great essayist, writer at the Standard, now sometime of the Atlantic, anywhere anywhere you can find him. Washington Free Beacon, really. Anywhere you can find him writing, read Andy Ferguson. He's fantastic. So there's a wake over there, and all the alum head to Andy Ferguson's house to have some drinks and say goodbye. And so I pull up to this house, right behind David Brooks is walking in. You know, it's a whole crew yeah but and these are people these are a lot of people who i don't think they really talk much to each other anymore it was certainly right. brooks and tucker so this is going to be interesting. right it was definitely it was a gathering of a yeah. lot of people yeah. from a lot of years many of whom don't see each other very often interesting crew i, I would say like there ended up being 50 and 60 people there at times yeah. don't you think yeah and it, it, it was like it was like this weird surreal norman Pothorich ex-friends moment where everybody yes. who no longer speaks to each other just happened to be there right so speaking of that I'm chatting with Tucker. This is, what year was this, by the way? 2018. It was like December 2018. I'm having a discussion. I'm just having a quick chat with Tucker. And at 
you know, all of us used to know each other and talk to each other and yeah. be friendly, right? Mm -hmm. That's that was sure. <laughs> many of us were on a ship together. Yeah. So I'm I'm talking to Tucker and I see out of the corner of my eye, Bill Crystal. Mm -hmm. And I think to myself, I do a quick social calculus, which is Bill is more important than I am. Tucker is more important than I am. I should give way and see if these two would like to yeah, talk you, to you, each you can't, other. Yeah, listeners can't see. I'm shaking my head like that's a bad idea. Right. It's just an, it was an instinct. Yeah. It and also, just happened. And also yeah. I like it's to bring people. I like to bring people in. Yes, I don't like to do. push people out, yeah. Vic. Yeah, yeah, sure. And so I usher Bill Crystal over to join the party, forgetting that these two who used to be yeah. friendly colleagues are now on very opposite sides and have taken personal shots at each other. And they both, they made it through gracefully, but they both, I'm sure. I think they shook I could, hands. I could did they feel, shake hands? Yes, they did. And I could feel mm -hmm. them look at me like, what's she doing? <laughs> you were trying to be like Frank Sinatra, bringing back Jerry Lewis and Dean Martin at the telethon, the yeah. reunion. I was you know? building bridges. I was building yeah. bridges, y'all. And this is after Tucker's book, which, by the way, had a caricature of Bill on the book. What was the name of that book, Vic? Oh, remind me. It's remind called, us. It's called Ship of Fools. Oh. <laughs> and, the, and the picture yeah. of that book flashed in my head as this interaction yeah. was happening like, oh, that, I, that I had caused. Uh, mm -hmm. Anyway. So. Wither uh, my social skills, Vic. Where were they? Where that, were they well, on that night? <laughs> you know what, though? We wouldn't have had this problem with, with Don Lemon. <laughs> That's for sure. He was not invited to that no, party. he was dead. He's the okay. one person who was not there. And he's also yeah. not invited to any CNN staff parties from now no. on. No. He is out of CNN as well. He was informed on Monday. He says, with like no in-person, or to his agent, to him, no in-person meeting, no call from management. CNN, however, disputes this and says that he was given a chance to meet with management and declined it and went to Twitter and gave his statement. That's right. So CNN issued a statement. They didn't, CNN didn't reply to Don Lemon on Twitter, did they? And say, Don, you're wrong. No, they issued a statement. They just said he was- Lawyerly. Mm -hmm. Yes. Uh, obviously, he's a lesser star than, than, than Tucker, though I'm sure in Don's head, he is- Of equal stature. Of e at least of equal. He- I don't know how, I, I, I don't know how you feel about it. I mean, he'd been there for 17 years- yeah. And I think that's definitely long enough of Don Lemon and his general condescension. Yeah, well, I talked to you. I talked to you, and I think Jeff Blair, when he was a guest on the show, thought that the variety piece was was a preview that he yeah. was going to get his comeuppance soon enough, and that they were placing this information so that we would all know that this is the uh, reason Don Lemon got yeah. got let go. I think his behavior was nasty to many yeah. people in public on air it's not like you need to even go yeah. to texts or emails to find it that's uh, right do you believe the the story that has not been refuted by any i don't think certainly by caitlin collins that you know they did this morning show together with caitlin collins and i think maybe it's brianna keeler no it's poppy harlow poppy harlow sorry i get it mixed up and don lemon and that off air he yelled at caitlin collins and brought her to tears but i mean it wouldn't surprise me yeah, it wouldn't it wouldn't surprise me. I, I had one of the more I think the weirdest, most un, one of the more uncomfortable moments I've ever had on TV with Don Lemon because he was anchoring on White House Correspondents Dinner night. And I was not at the Correspondents Dinner, but they had a panel for White House Correspondents Dinner. That's right. Which is 
there's nothing eh. to say, but whatever. Right. We were, <laughs> we're there. They and as part of it, he was wearing like a white dinner jacket. He had really done it up, right? Because he's anchoring for this yeah. formal event. So we're all on set and something terrible happened. There was, and I, I don't want to miss, I don't want to misname which one it was, but there was a shooting at a synagogue. Oh, right. On the night of the White House Correspondence mm-hmm. Center. And we can look up what the name of it was, but it's one that most people remember this happening. Right. And it happened on that night. It happened Tree while, of Life in Pennsylvania. Tree maybe. of Life. That's okay. So we're, and it happened while we were doing this coverage. So obviously you have to switch to something else, right? Yeah. But his inability to shift from white dinner jacket, silly coverage of White House Correspondence Dinner to this tragic oh, no. shooting was so uncomfortable on wow. set. And to the point that when he started asking questions, which because he was in White House Correspondence Dinner mode. And probably were, drinking. Were, oh, yeah, I mean, so it were. I don't, I don't want to disparage him. That's true. But no, no. I don't want a defamation suit. But because he was in that mode, he was thinking politics and he was thinking like, I don't know, it was just the tone was wrong. And he starts asking sort of political analysis questions mm. connected to the shooting. Yeah. And I sat there, Vic, and I no. have never stared at my coffee mug in my hands harder oh. in my entire life because yeah. I was like, I'm not answering these types of questions yeah. about this incident right now. You, yeah. you, you just read the prompter about the very sad news, please. Right. So that kind of thing was always something I was on the lookout for if I ever needed to be I, on I think air. The only reason I think the reason why I, I was thinking about tricking was because, of course, he used to do the New Year's show. And yes. I don't know what well, they're going to do now no, because, no, you know. he definitely was drinking for that. It, well, they told him he couldn't Andy Cohen's not going to be there. He's not going to be there. That's true. Yeah. And he, he he was drinking. He would drink Tito's and club soda. That's a classic. Yeah. I think they cut him off this past year. And as a result, of course, the, yeah. the, the broadcast was not what it used to be. No, it's not because it's like they both hate it, but you need it. The culmination, of course, was the Nikki Haley thing, which we have, of course, gone through on yes. our own show several times. But I don't think I ever got to tell you, this is not to defend Don Lemon, but I think I know what he meant. Did I tell you this? Did I tell you about this? What did he mean? I think he was thinking biologically like sexual prime. No, I actually think that's what he meant. Right? 35, 35. And then because he said it with such certainty. And then he says in that horrible sort of dismissive way to his co-host, look it up on Google. It's on Google. And I'm like, well, he looked at, you know, it's something's on Google. And I think that's what he, why no, I, he was thinking about this, a woman's sexual prime. I don't, Don Lemon. Now that, I don't now know. that is the question. Right. And that's is, the question. And is that relevant to her ability to be president of the United States? That would, no. that would be, that had I been there, I would have asked a few questions about that. It's something. <laughs> okay. So, All right. Got so he's out up. of there. I yeah. think his, okay. his future might be less bright, but I don't know. The thing about, Especially with Lemon. I don't know about T- Tucker. I think is somebody who has the ability to like go and hang out with his wife and not do this if he wanted to. He doesn't have to. I mean, Lemon or like a Cuomo, they got to be oh, on yeah. camera. Have to be on camera. Tucker, I'm sort of up in the air about. Maybe, you know, like, what? I mean, Maybe, they are driven yeah. to be on camera is what I mean. Like they must be there. Tucker and like Megan Kelly can go on with Don Lemon and Chris Cuomo. They can do a version of The View. It would be oh, wild. Oh, good Lord. <laughs> Oh, good Lord. All right. Well, shall, shall, shall we move on from let's that? Move, let's move on. We, we, yeah, to another, sure. to another heavy hitter, though. Uh-huh. Another, another famous, 
famous oh, figure who's graced our TV sets more times than I would like, Randy Weingarten. Head of the American Federation of Teachers. She was on the Hill this week to testify in front of the COVID Response Oversight Committee on the subject of school closings. As you might imagine, I was interested in this, although, <laughs> although pretty much turned out how I expected, which is that she just gaslights everybody. And unless you like really, really, really drill her on some questions, which a couple of folks got interesting answers out of her, but I think you'd like, you really need to like have follow-ups and all of her quotes at hand to yep. really nail her down. Cause she's very, it's like arguing with jello. And she has so many. A shrill jello. <laughs> she has, she has so many allies, every Democrat in Congress, obviously, oh. and all of the media that they are willing to carry water for this idea that that she was just trying so you know what yeah. let me just play the audio for you you'll uh, you'll hear how how hard she was trying uh, i'm sorry congressman raskin i'm just we spent every day from february on trying to get schools open. We knew that remote education was not a substitute for opening schools, but we also knew that people had to be safe. And maybe it's because I live in New York City. I live near a hospital. Every other minute there was a ambulance. There was terror. Our members were terrified. Others were terrified. And what we were simply looking for was clear scientific guidance. And when we couldn't get it, we did it ourselves. And we worked with doctors and we worked with others. And we just tried to get it out there. Okay. Now you're Let me give clarity. Yeah. That is bullshit. <laughs> All of that utter nonsense. Yeah. Everything she and her organization and the various chapters of her organization did was designed to keep doors of schools closed for as long as possible. Had, had parents not absolutely lost their minds and dragged her and her affiliates mm -hmm. in large American cities and suburbs, completely controlled by Democrats, if they had not dragged them still... kicking and screaming, they might still be at yeah. two days a week. They would, yeah. I, I doubt to this day they would be back five days a week Hybrid they, learning and asynchronous on, you know, Mondays. Yeah, and you, you got to do it. Four days, two days in the you school. You got to do it. By the way, in 2020, when she was when she was doing everything possible yeah. to get kids back in school, she also called the idea of going back to school callous and cruel. That was in the summer and fall. That's on, that's on that's on Twitter, or was that on social media? That where, uh, where she she said this because I was going was. to say there. Are banking on us and it's 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 a decent bet for some of us but they're banking that we're going to forget all of that awfulness and just look at her and say well if the democrats and the media and she all say that they wanted this i guess that they wanted this but it, it is a good thing that we have you know twitter archives and screenshots she also in an interesting move i thought she was gonna wilt under fire a little bit more than she did because she started out when asked you know had she met with rochelle walensky to to boss them around about yeah. guidance to get back to school in 2021 after everybody had been out for almost a year already. She said, I'm 65. I can't remember everything. I just don't know. I, I understand that. What, but but what me, has... when, when was the first time you engaged with CDC in any way, shape or form directly? The first time the, yeah. was when they asked us 
to do the Zoom, I think the first time. Look, I'm 65 years old. I don't remember everything anymore. I'm sorry. Wow, that's a move under oath yeah. in front of Congress. You couldn't have yeah. you couldn't have some of your many, many staff members look up the number of times you chatted with Rochelle. You couldn't look yeah. that up. So it went on and on this way with the gaslighting. I did appreciate, this is Representative Meliotakis. Meliotakis, yes, uh, Staten she, Island. She went after her as a fellow New Yorker. Oh, by the way, did you notice in that clip that she cops to basically making decisions based on her emotions instead of facts. She says, maybe it was because I was in New York and the Tara, the Tara. It was Tara. There was Tara and we were terrified and we therefore couldn't use our brains. Therefore, shut it all down. Shut it all down. All right, here's Maliotaka serving up some stats for her. But after lobbying for and securing $122 billion in the American Rescue Plan uh, to safely reopen schools, after after another after the 60 billion had already been allocated through the CARES Act, the AFT still continued to push for schools to be closed. Private schools opened a year earlier than the public schools did in New York City. You got 190 billion dollars to reopen schools safely, but guess what? As of November, do you know how much? What percentage of that funding was actually used? Do you know you lobbied for the 190 billion dollars? in the CARES package. You actually blame Republicans for voting against the American Rescue Plan because you needed that money so badly to reopen the schools. But guess what? Only 15% of that money was spent as of November. The thing is, when she's like, oh, we just all, all we wanted to do was open schools. She also said at one point, we were trying to do something that no one else was doing. That's not true. Which, <laughs> like, did she did she not know about the rest of the country or Europe or private schools right down the street from well, any? That's right. That's right. Okay, so school. you know, every everybody gets a pass for March 2020. Yes, you know, I get it. But the terror, year, I understand. Yes, but a year on, when private schools reopened, and I remember this. I remember going on a jog, and you know, my kids are home five days a week. And I see these kids at the local Catholic school. They're all back. They're wearing masks, but that's okay. They're all back. They're ba- that was, you know, I mean, that was the first step was bringing yeah. them back. And and then you hear what ha- what's happening in Europe. Of course, suddenly we're ignoring what Europe is doing because it's not what, you know. We, yeah. And it's very much like any of these, any of the studies that were coming out that show that children were not major vectors for COVID and they were not going to kill the teachers or the, you know, as they said, you're going to come home and kill grandpa. Then suddenly you stop following the science because it contradicts what your aims are. No, she's just she acts as if all of this was unknowable. Yeah, and then no, she right. says we That's just right. needed clarity and we needed guidance and we needed two hundred billion dollars, and then we'll let your children yeah. back into school buildings. It's it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. That, that One, money, it, the, it was a wish list. It was a boondoggle, as as Maliotakis points out. Only fifteen percent of it was spent, and the things that they asked for, it wasn't just. COVID, you know, prevention. Yeah. What's oh, the, no, no. It's, a lot of it for? is programmatic. Yeah. yeah. It oh. goes to a bunch of yeah. stuff that she favors in schools. Right. Yes, liberal-leaning weirdo mm-hmm. CRT and mm-hmm. yeah, whatever the new emotional social learning is, all that stuff, mm-hmm. you know, because that was so important to open schools back in 2021. Sure, <laughs> sure. It's just lies, lies, lies. There was one congressman, Mfumi, who made what I thought was a really novel argument that it was silly. All of them said, all the Democrats said, we shouldn't look back. We should look forward. It's senseless 
to evaluate what we did right and wrong. Mm -hmm. And this catastrophic, catastrophic policy decision, partly largely helped along by Randy Weiger. And we shouldn't look back at that in critique. And Mfumi added, the reason we shouldn't back, look back at these things in critique is because, look, a lot of things went wrong. Remember all those fraudulent loans we gave out? Like, <laughs> a lot of stuff was bad, guys. And as a result, auditing any of that is dumb. Yeah. Let's move on and give Miss Weingarten and all of her allies a bunch more money. And people like me, a bunch more money when I've just admitted to handing out a bunch of loans to frauds with your taxpayer money. Don't you feel good about this process, Vic? Don't you feel good? Yeah. It, it, California did the same thing. It was like, you know, $30 billion wasted, you know, going to the wrong people in that sort of aid. So I, I will say there was there was one moment where we almost, well, I'll ask you, Vic, do you, do you think we got any regrets expressed? Oh, Randy Weingarten? No, no, no. And you know, I, I hope I'm not stealing it from you, but you you wrote you were so moved by Randy Weingarten and of course yeah. after Dr. Fauci and the same thing with all his various lies and illusions that you wrote this column in the New York Post. Yes. And you said it's sort of like this bizarro Superman, Sp Spider-Man rather, yeah. which is with well, you go ahead. I'll leave it to you to say. No, it said with great with great power comes no responsibility for yeah. these guys, right? Like they could set policy for two years, destroy literally destroy a bunch of people's lives. It's right. not it's right. not overstating it. The state of the state of our the state of children's education in America, right, is in tatters. Yes. Right. And it's, it's horrific. Both academically and behaviorally speaking. Yes, it's horrific. Yeah. And the very people that she was supposed to help, teachers, which she of course wasn't interested in students at all. Yeah. The very people she was supposed to help are the ones suffering through this rehabilitation, right? right. Like like it's it's a disaster out there. And People, you know, the schools were not performing, public schools were not performing great in many areas before this, and now it's even worse. Anyway, you would think if you oversaw the most, one of the more fundamental breakings of the social compact, mm -hmm. taking away the thing you say is essential mm -hmm. from regular people right. for more than a year, many of them poor, many of them minorities, you think you might like feel a little bad about it. So at one point... Rich McCormick, who's from Georgia, and he's right. an ER doc, asks her, do you think that teachers are essential? That public schools are an essential service? And she says, yes, without hesitating. And he notes that as an ER doctor, he also was essential, but that he had to go in <laughs> to work because that's what essential people did. Now, he didn't he didn't then nail her with like, why were teachers the only essential workers who didn't need to report for duty? Right. Why were they different in these cities? Now, there were plenty that did, and I appreciate those folks. But in these cities, why were they different? And he, he says, looking back, would you say, with your knowledge now, instead of just the Tara, would mm -hmm. you say that teachers should have gone back earlier? <laughs> this is the answer. I regret covid <laughs> well, thanks, girl. We all do. Then, I don't think she's alone with that. Then sentiment. she says, then she says, I regret the fear that was there. And I think one of the reasons we were asking for more clarity is because I we had a role to play in mitigating that fear. Well, congratulations. You exacerbated the fear, you fanned the flames, you didn't listen 
to the information right outside your door and you ruined public schools. Yay! Big uh, big applause yeah. for Randy. <laughs> and, and I don't think anyone's ever getting rid of her. I think she's there for life. Well, I mean, to me, this hearing at the end of it, I was like, well, this is like, she and Fauci are just going to waltz away yeah. with their big old pensions. Lots of money, lots of power. They're going to be on lots of panels and interviewed mm-hmm. by lots of people as experts after having de- like destroyed public trust in right. the things that they are supposed to steward. Yeah. Him, public health, her, public schools. Both of them have seen public trust falls, you know, just cratering for both yeah. of these institutions. And it's largely because of them. And they're just like, we did the best we could, and we're awesome. And Amazing. let's look ahead. Again, don't look back. No, don't look backwards. Don't look back. No. Don't look back. Oh, All right, I'll play you one more clip just because this one's kind of fun. Uh-huh. All right, this is Representative Lesko asking, hey, like I'm on a couple congressional committees that deal with the CDC. I have one last question, the 14 seconds I've left. I'm a member of Congress that sits on two committees that deal with this, uh, the CDC. I don't have a direct number to Director Walensky, do you? Um, I do not talk to representatives of the government. Do you have a direct number to to Director Walensky? Do I have Director Walensky's direct number? Yes. Yes, I have Director Walensky's direct number. Well, hopefully she'll give it to you. You couldn't hear the end cut off, but she says, well, hopefully she'll give it to me someday. Again, they were working together on this, and now it's like, you know, that was not my department. I'm not a doctor. I didn't make these decisions. The CDC and, and, and the NIAID will say, oh, well, you know, we're on the medical side. We didn't make the policy decisions. And so it's nobody's fault. It's nobody's yeah, fault. It's just, it's just things happened, Vic. Yeah. Things yeah. happened. I do enjoy that she just admits that, like, she doesn't know that the rest of the world exists. Yeah. Like, we were trying to do something that no one else was doing. That is, yeah. that is not true. It's yeah. Weingarten. It's not true. Anyway, I was mad, so I wrote for the post about it. You can check it out at NewYorkPost.com or my Twitter account. And what else do we have? It's today? under Free Beacon's Recommended Reading. Oh, thank you so much. Okay. And we're going to close today with a brief discussion yes. of the Adams administration in New York City. <laughs> this is good stuff. <laughs> this happened like a, a week ago, but I've been, I've been meaning to talk about it because it's you know food related, yes. food and freedom related. The Adams administration in New York City has announced a plan to begin tracking the carbon footprint created by household food consumption, as well as a new target for New York City agencies to reduce their food-based emissions by 33% by the year 2030. We got food-based emissions in this house, but I don't think it's what they're talking about. <laughs> Look, I have a son. I have to do fart jokes now. Okay. Yeah, now you can, right? And you can always Mayor. blame it on the baby now. Mayor Eric Adams announced the plan on Monday along with the mayor's Office of Climate and Environmental Justice as part of the city's ongoing pledge to reduce the impact of climate change. This is insanity. Adams, an ardent evangelist of plant-based diets, he switched to one after he was diagnosed as diabetic. Got diabetes. Yeah. Yeah. Announced the new tracker and policy at a Brooklyn Culinary Center run by Health Plus Hospitals, the city's public health care system. It's easy to talk about emissions that are coming from vehicles and how it impacts our carbon footprint, Adam said, but now we have to talk about beef. How dare, how dare you, Eric Adams? You know who I'm sure is probably not going to be on board with this? I would say Peter Luger's Steakhouse. Yeah, I know. Like, what about all the great chefs in New York City? 
This, yeah, that's right. But, They're all going to have to switch. This is what, you know, I mean, this is like that ridiculous high-end restaurant 11 Madison Park decided that they're going to go full vegetarian except for, you know, secretly you can pay a lot of money and they'll give you a nice piece of meat. Oh, you of know? course. Hey, this is anybody. how it's going to work, right? Yeah, the nice, I mean, the nice again, chefs will just do what they need to do to be able to use what they need to use. But the regular people. the rest people, of us, yeah. you know, let, let them eat soy oh my is what it's going to be. So, I mean, I love how he says, you know, what we're doing, we need to do an inventory. That's a, a harmless inventory. Yeah, who, no big deal. We're just going to track. Gonna, yeah, yeah. We're going to just track an inventory? the badness of what you're eating. All told, yeah. this is Gothamist reporting, 20% of the city's greenhouse gas em emissions come from food consumed by households, according to the mayor. I'd like to know where this data comes from. Yeah. Food ranks as the third biggest contributor of carbon emissions after buildings and transportation. <sighs> City officials said New Yorkers can help the planet by eating more fruits, vegetables, grains, and beans. Oh, GTFO, man. <laughs> I, you know... I, I have I get, no patience for. I this. feel like we've been through this. We were with, we went through this with Mayor Bloomberg, yeah. right? With the soda sizes, and but I like I like that Bloomberg was just at least like, hey, you're gonna get fat. This guy's like, we're gonna save the planet oh, yeah, by telling you what yeah, to yeah. do. Absolutely. If if you do this, if you go and start eating, you know, a plant based diet, which is which is by the way the biggest concern of New York City right now. It's certainly not crime. Oh no no no. Definitely definitely like home drugs. Let's spend a lot of time collecting data about how many vegetables yeah. people eat. Yeah yeah yeah. Monitor what's in your fridge, and 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 you know what? You still can't get us to eat. I don't think New Yorkers. Most New Yorkers are not going to be on board with your quinoa kale recommendations. Well, and now That's they're, they're going—they've already foisted, tried to foist these vegetarian options on kids, or I shouldn't say vegetarian options because it sounds like he wants to turn everybody into vegetarians. Period. Right? It's not yeah. an option. No, 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 no. He just wants to switch it. Right. Exactly. Ugh. But I mean, it's like, what is the end game here? Is it coercion or persuasion? I mean, so they would call this, I believe in the Democratic Party, you know, and all the behavioral analysts that, that the Obama folks used to employ would call this nudging, but nudging uh, just in the hands yeah, of that's the coercion. <laughs> just eventually becomes coercion. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. No, I mean, it reminds you, eventually it's going to be like in 1984 with Big Brother and there's going to be morning stretches and they'll yeah. be monitoring you doing your stretches to make sure you do them properly. You know, also, it's, it's it's funny, and I understand. I understand you can make the argument that you know obesity is a very serious problem in America. Sure, I agree, mm -hmm. and the burden that it, it you know it it places on healthcare costs. Sure, I, I I agree with that as well. At the same time, you can't, you just there's certain things you just can't do. You cannot make people. Well, well, or can, can you? I, right. Yeah, exactly. I was going to say, I, I may stand like, We're going like, to have a correction next week. It's like every time we say Biden can't do something no, just with yeah. like a yeah. pen. It's like, oh, well, exactly. I guess he, a lot of executive I guess he orders. just did. I'll be, but, I'll be eating well, my impossible burger next week. I thought I, you're, I, thought you're I couldn't hate any nanny stating about food any more than Michael Bloomberg's, but I hate this more. I hate this more because it like, at least Bloomberg looks you in the eye and is like, listen, you fat slob, you got to stop eating, right, you got to right. stop eating all these burgers and having all these right. sodas. This guy's like, I am Gaia. Right. I am going to save. The He's like Captain Planet over there. I, He's going to save everything by telling you that you can't eat beef. Get out of here. I, I would, ju just this morning, I couldn't open the door because my hands were full of some full of groceries. Because I didn't get a bag. I refuse to get the plastic bag. <laughs> you won't do the bag. I know. I will not do it. And sometimes I do and I won't pay. Shh, because, you know, they're going to audit us. They're going to audit us. Five, you, I owe you a nickel. Stay. 
Arlington will come to you and be like, hey, you have $100 in bag fees that you haven't paid. Yeah, yeah, supposedly. <laughs> we're, we're here for your house. Supposedly, you know, I usually take the plastic bag. Once I empty it, I just let it go into a tree. That's what I just do that. I put a candle in it and let it fly oh, off. You, into well, the, you do yeah. the candle. Yeah. yeah. Because, you know, the gases that get emitted it's, are quite healthy. Well, it's, no. it's a beautiful, it's a beautiful thing. It, when, it's, when but I it's I the whole, it's, it's the whole idea that if you do this, if you do what the, you know, they're doing, it's going to offset all the coal fired plants that are being built in China and India. Oh, totally. And also, can we just talk? It's just, I think it, sometimes it's coercion for the sake of coercion. Cause like, yeah. do I actually just believe, like doing it? Do I actually believe that? foisting plant-based diets on people is going to make everyone healthier. Actually, I don't. I think meat is very good for you. <laughs> meat is very good for Here, you. It is true. You, you need it to live. Like, I guess you don't technically need it because no. vegetarians live. It is but a how great much, source How well do they live? Yeah. Anyway. No. I, I, <laughs> I love that we could say this. Sorry. It's so, you know, I'm Sorry, sure, vegetarians I'm sure our, are our vegetarian listeners are like, God, these guys are so obnoxious. No, but I will say that what you get on this thing with any diet, if you fetishize it, you get on this weird loop where you end up coming back around to unhealthy again. Yeah. Because so, and with plants, you, you can do it with plant-based. So my brother was telling me in LA that, of course, LA, there's near him is a vegetarian butcher. Okay. A vegetarian, a vegetarian butcher. butcher. Which means it's actually a great scam. It means the vegetarians and people on plant-based diets go to this butcher to get their reconstituted plant-based sludge that is made into meat shapes wow. packaged up by this guy in the paper as if you were going to a butcher so that you... Oh, I, come I don't know why we, want the, why do we want the feeling of meat when we don't want the meat. I don't get that. Yeah. But yeah. you get your sort of processed whatever it is yeah. handed to you in the butcher paper. It's comforting. And then you go back to your house and yeah. cook it whatever way. I'm not familiar with how you cook an Impossible Burger. So... But it, it just occurs to me that like this level of processing might not be no. any better for you than a ribeye. Like I'm just going to pick There are a ribeye. ton more ingredients inside a plant-based burger than, yeah. well, a meat burger. Anyway. Okay. And what look, have at it if you want to go to the vegetarian, the vegan butcher. I think a vegan butcher, that's what it is. If you want to go to the vegan, vegan butcher, butcher, have at it, man. Yeah. Spend your money that way. Just don't make me be a part of it. That's right. And it's a lot more salt in there, too. I mean, don't even get me started with, you know, it's all soil and green. I mean, soy. It's all soy based. Sorry. Okay. That wraps up. That wraps up this episode of Getting Hammered. Remember, you can subscribe to us on iTunes, Google Play, and Stitcher. And you could follow me on Twitter at Victorina Mattis. I'm at MK Hammer on Twitter, at MK Hammer Time on Instagram. And I will put up some pictures this week of the bathroom. I promise. I was just busy it's in New Hampshire starting my exploratory committee, and I just didn't have time. <laughs> It's good. She's good. running. All right. This has been a Nebulous Media Podcast. Yes. <laughs>